What's going on, listeners? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies. And as one person gets ready to say goodbye to a franchise that spanned over 40 years, uh, we're getting ready to say hello as we're going to kick off our Indiana Jones marathon, whatever you want to call it, uh, by talking first about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And boy, this movie came out in 1981. And Rob Harrison, you know, thanks for joining, but I guess I really didn't think about how long this has been a franchise until we decided we were going to do this. And I knew this movie was, you know, old and this series was like old, but this was before I was like, this series has been around longer than I've been alive. Um, this movie was released two years before I was alive, certainly released before Harrison was born. Um, but man, 40 years, um, that's a, that's a hell of a long time um, for, for this franchise to be around and for Harrison Ford to be, you know, saying goodbye to this character. It's almost bittersweet, so to speak. Uh, Rob, I'll let you go first. Welcome. Yeah, um, I'm really glad that we decided to cover this series because, Matt, a lot of the stuff you and I have been reviewing lately has been really hard to get through. We've been <laughs> we've been doing a lot of video game adaptions and uh Listeners, if you've ever watched a video game adaption of a movie anytime prior to, say, like 2021, you know they're all garbage. They're all bad. Like, not just bad, but unspeakably bad. So if you think about what a good palate cleanser would be, it's hard to do better than the Indiana Jones franchise. So much of this series is sacred and iconic. And you just think about little details about this, this trilogy, the theme the score, his whip, his jacket, his hat, the movie posters, the traps and puzzles, the impossible and crazy situations he always gets in and then gets out of, the Nazi villains he always defeats, the treasures he searches for, even the travel montage that he always uses um, to, to get around the world as he's you know kind of looking for all these different these different treasures and, and sacred places, those travel montages have become iconic and, and part of this franchise and kind of uh, rift on in other media. And, and even though those travel montages occasionally reference a, a country by a name that it wasn't known as at that period of time, they still are incredibly iconic. And, you know, you just hear that indie theme music that dun, 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 dun. like I don't even have to do more than that. And you automatically know what it is. And you're already like, it's adventure time. Go, indie, go. And you're just into it and you're ready to have fun. Yeah, Harrison, I mean, is is this movie being released way before, you know, you were born? Um, what did you watch this before? we had talked about it. Is this your first time watching it? Like what would have gotten you into, you know, it, the Indiana Jones movies, just the fact that you have a love of cinema or was there like a specific reason why you had watched Indiana Jones given when it was released? Yeah. Great question. It, it's, this is a series and this movie, well, this whole series is one that I have a lot of nostalgia for, even though, like you said, it was released way before my time. I think that I just was introduced to it because of my dad. I've kind of talked about Star Wars and the original trilogy and how my dad introduced me to that. But like, sincerely, one of the core memories I have as a child when it comes to watching movies um, and like choosing to watch movies and what and like, you know, when you get to that age where like you're choosing what movies you watch instead of just like what you and your parents and your siblings are watching, if you guys know what I mean, like when you're you are now aware of the decision that you're making to watch a movie, if that makes sense. And one of those core memories I have is wanting continually to watch Indiana Jones, but it was, it was the trilogy in a little um, box set. So it had the three DVD cases and they were in a sleeve and the sleeve was like so tight around the DVD cases that it was impossible for me to get the DVDs out. <laughs> and so that's what I remember is like wanting to watch Indiana Jones and then struggling to get the DVD out. But beyond the dumb DVD case, I just like always I talk about the love I had for Star Wars when I was young. Indiana Jones was a close second. Um, and that could be because my name is Harrison and I always liked Harrison Ford for that reason. But I, I mean, like the whip, I had a whip when I was young. I went to um, I was I was a Boy Scout. So when I was eight years old, I was a Cub Scout and we went to a summer camp that was themed after Indiana Jones. And they had this performer. Um, his name was. uh um, it will come back to me, 
but something Jones and he was like supposed to be Indiana's son. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And he had a belt buckle that said his name and he had a whip and like all the Cub Scouts, you could buy a whip and I bought one and I kept it for like years. So like Indiana Jones has really been a part of my, my growing up and I've loved Indiana Jones. So coming back to it, it's just like, like it feels so good. It's just fun. I was really excited to do these with you. That's, that's really cool. That's, that's actually, you know, it's always interesting to hear how somebody kind of gets into a franchise. You know, Rob, you also mentioned before we really start talking about this movie as a whole, um, it, it's so iconic now, but way back in 1981, you know, if you'd done any research on this movie, it wasn't pulling very well at all when this movie was getting ready to be released. And there was some, some real concern that this was not really going to do anything and it was not going to catch on uh $20 million budget ended up becoming the highest grossing movie, uh, 380 million worldwide. So, you know, it's a heck of a, a heck of a good profit. Um, but it's just funny how initially there was some real concern that this movie was not going to have, you know, any kind of success really. Um, and funny to think now that 40 years later, we're getting ready to, to say goodbye to this franchise. After Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, some people might say that's a good thing. Um, whether or not this, <laughs> you know this last movie ends it on a high note, we'll see. Um, but I, I do want to take. We'll get into our our thoughts and our review here. But Harrison, you are a guest here. This is the first time we've been able to be together for a while, all three of us. And we're going to, if you don't mind, we're going to borrow here "Rummage for the Rotten," and we're going to we're going to see who we think is going to like this movie the least. And Rob, I'm going to let you go first, followed by Harrison, and I'll go last. Rob, who do you think will be the rotten in this scenario? It's not me. It's probably Matt. Okay. Mm. I'm telling you, it's not me. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind it's not you. (laughs) It can't possibly be. I think that Rob is going to like definitely not be the run. And then I think Matt and I will be tied, like not just like close. Like I think we'll be exactly tied. So I guess both Matt and I is my guess. Interesting. Um, I I think that I I think I'm going to be the rotten. I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to shock you guys with some of my comments, but I definitely don't think some of the things that I have to say about this movie will be agreed with. Um, so I'm thinking I'm going to be the rotten, but you know, Rob, I'm going to take this first question to you. Well, not this first question, but kind of this first topic that I'm going to talk about, you know, one of the things that's clear right off the bat though, when this movie starts and as you go through it, you can see why this character is loved. Number one, Harrison Ford, especially way back then, you know, whatever you want to call him, heartthrob, anything like that. He's a good looking guy, rugged, you know, so you can see why this movie can be appealing to, you know, both sexes, so to speak, why this had such a good box office score and why it's kind of stood the test of time. Um, But again, Harrison Ford for, you know, when he's in certain roles he just has this dynamic charm about him and and that's one of the things that really carries this movie because i i do think for me there's some there's some issues with this movie but a, a lot of it he just he carries right through and i think that's just so apparent um you know in some of the opening scenes here just how charismatic harrison ford really is i think if you look at for those of us born in the late seventies, early eighties, um, maybe even throughout most of the eighties, Harrison Ford to us is probably your quintessential leading man for Hollywood. I, I, I'm not sure who I would put above him. There might be somebody I would, I would rank above him, but it's just, it's hard for me to argue with his role as Indy and his role as, as Han Solo, just those two alone puts him above so many other people. And when he's on screen, like he just captivates you and it's easy to fall in love with his characters and just be off on a great adventure. It helps that he's been in some pretty big IPs. It helps that he's been in some very iconic IPs and that the music and the, just the fun of the movies he has been in seems to support that. 
you know, you just think about something like his whip, right? Like how impractical of a weapon in a tool is a whip, really? <laughs> like it's super impractical. Like nobody brings a whip to a gunfight. And yet the only reason anybody cares to ever learn how to use a bullwhip is because Indiana Jones made it cool. That's it. Like nobody else would use it or even care about a bullwhip if it wasn't for this character. And as soon as he's on screen and as soon as Harrison, anytime he gives that sort of half smile that he does that he's, he's kind of famous for, like you're just in, I'm just like, all right, I'm coming along. Can't wait. What are we doing guys? Yeah. You know, it is funny, Harrison. I'll let you piggyback off all that stuff, but it, it is funny that he probably really, when you think about it, it has what? the two most, if not in the top five, most iconic movie characters of all time in Han Solo and Indiana Jones, the same actor playing. Now you can talk about like individual, you know, like, oh, you can say like Darth Vader's a bigger character and like certainly certain things, but the actor Harrison Ford playing both of them. I mean, who really else? And Harrison, I'll let you go first off of that. Who has two really big, big roles like this where you can say in the scope of movies and iconic characters, he plays two of the most recognized and beloved characters of all time for some people. Yeah, it's interesting. And I say this understanding that the name Harrison is kind of unique, but like my whole life, especially growing up, whenever someone I would introduce myself, I'm Harrison. They, one of the first questions asked me, Oh, are you named after Harrison Ford? And, and like, how many Roberts have you met? And yet no one ever asked, oh, are you named after Robert De Niro? Like, equally <laughs> as famous. Yeah, And, like, granted, the name is more unique than the other. I know it's not a perfect comparison. But, like, there's a reason that the, the name Harrison Ford is in the zeitgeist. Like, people would call me Harrison Ford as a nickname just because I have the same first name. So there's something about him that has, like, captured pop culture. And it's understandable. I Like, you watch him in this... And like, if I was a student, I might write "Love You" on my eyelids. He's great. Like, like he, <laughs> he he has charisma. And and you like when you're going on the adventure, like that opening shot when you don't see him yet, and it's just like, oh, who's this guy? And then like this over ridiculous passion he has for archaeology, and and like the it's just so much fun to go along with Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. And and I think that these like I was looking at, I was like, okay, yeah, you have a lot of like good directing, good or not great directing, great music, great cinematography, all that stuff. But like, this is a weird story, like archaeology and going after the Ark of the Covenant and Nazis. Like, like this is the most absurd thing ever. Like, why did this catch on? And I think one of the biggest reasons why the Indiana Jones series became a fran or, or movie became a franchise is Harrison Ford and how great he is as Indiana. Like, I you know, give me more ridiculousness with Nazis and some other artifact. Let's go after it. If I get to go with Harrison Ford, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think, and Rob, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think that's a really good point because it's not like these movies are grounded. These movies are really out there when you think about what the plots are. And as we get further along in this series, they certainly might get a little bit more outlandish. Um, but yeah, it's not like he's just going after artifacts and digging up treasure. And okay, he comes across people along the way that want the same thing. So he falls into danger. I mean, we're dealing with supernatural and all these things. So a lot of this is just a really wacky, wild premise that might not always mix together. But I do think some of it, like you said, Harrison, and kind of how I mentioned earlier, is I hate to use the word overlooked, but it's acceptable because of the fact that you are really hooked to Harrison Ford while he's on screen. Um, and I think what, I think that's why this worked, like you said, and blossomed and, and branched out to the mega franchise that it is today. Uh, because yeah, this is definitely a weird series. It is kind of weird, but you know, you think about it, like, yeah, it's alternate history, it's archaeology, which before everybody was into like the Mayans and the Egyptians, because apparently aliens came down and talked to them. Like mm -hmm. nobody cared about archaeology except for Indiana Jones. Like this got people interested in some of that stuff in ways that nobody cared about before that. And it's it's kind of 
I think it's a, I think it's fairly well known how many different actors were originally considered for the role of Indiana Jones. So uh, something I, I'd like to do when my brother Eric and I do a show together on uh, the official spinoff of Matt Goes to the Movies in the extended podcast universe, we'd like to talk about other actors that were considered for some of these iconic roles. So I think a lot of people know the story about Tom Selleck originally was supposed to be Indiana Jones. And I could, you could kind of see that. Like it's, it's hard to picture anybody but Harrison Ford because he is so iconic in that role. But yeah, Tom Selleck was supposed to be the guy. And listen, I think he, I think he would have done a fine job for it. But some of the other names that were uh, considered are Bill Murray, Nick Nolte, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, uh, Jack Nicholson, Jeff Bridges, uh, Sam Elliott. I, I think a lot of those are, are kind of interesting. Nick and Nolte? I, yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, some of those would have been interesting. Ultimately, like I, I think many of them would have been perfectly fine, and we wouldn't have noticed that we were missing something. But, man, it's hard for me to think that anybody would have nailed it. it just the fun, the, like be, being able to be brave, charming, dashing, funny, vulnerable, all the different things that we see Indy um, throughout this, this trilogy, because we don't acknowledge the existence of a fourth movie um, throughout <laughs> this trilogy, all the different situations he gets himself. in. it's hard to think that any of those guys as great as they could have been would have been better. I mean, just as I was looking at my notes, even that simple scene at the beginning when he's talking to, I think they're from the military, those two guys from the military about the Ark of the Covenant, and they're just like sitting around the table. It's all static shots, really slow editing, and I'm entirely captivated by what he's saying. Like, I could not be more interested in it, and it's just, it's just Harrison Ford. Yeah, it's it's wild to me going and, you know, looking at things for this movie. Um because I I've probably seen this. This is I believe this is the fifth time I've I've seen this movie now um, on this rewatch. But it really is kind of crazy to go and look and see how critically praised this movie was. Like winning awards, the reviews, everything. Like this was so many people have so many like great things to say about this. Um, and that's kind of one where I want to transition and get your guys' thoughts because I don't watching this again. I don't have the same thoughts that I did just kind of thinking about it from memory. And, and one of the things that I I personally have a problem with in this movie, um, Rob, I'll let you go first. Is I do feel that some of these scenes there is that people waiting around so that Indy can do things like that fight um, towards the end of the movie where he um, he's just kind of like rope a doping with uh, that villain who takes his shirt off around the plane and everything. Some of that really didn't feel exciting. You know, it didn't really feel exciting to me. It felt very, okay, I'm going to wait. Then I'm going to punch you. I'm going to do this guy over here is going to shoot. How do people not notice what's going on? People running over very slowly after these explosions. Um, but some of this movie in certain spots, it really did feel like, okay, person A is waiting for person B so that Indy can do some of these things. And I didn't really remember it being like that. And, and maybe it's just me, but that's part of where some of my problem with this movie comes in, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I you're not wrong, by the way, with any of that. Um, some of yeah. the action scenes don't hold up as well as as they did in my nostalgic, hazed memory uh, of this movie, where it does kind of feel like some of the action is a little plotting. Um, I mean, the Nazis as a group, they really sucked at a lot of things. Um, <laughs> <besides> <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, if you if you didn't already know, they sucked at a lot of things like just being decent, having humanity like they sucked at that. They were awful, probably the worst ever at being like a decent group of human beings, literally the worst. They're going down in the Hall of Fame as worst <laughs> humans ever. But you know what else they suck at? They suck at patrols, standing guard for things, because holy crap, there is so many things that happen right in front of them that these guys have to have like 
they have to be the most nearsighted g- patrol guards in the entire world because Indy like ninja style slips past all of them um, pretty easily. I mean, towards the end of the movie, he, you know, he steals a, a Nazi uniform and is just kind of walking around at the back of it. And nobody ever questions like why he doesn't speak German or anything like that, or look like any of them, or, you know, he, he doesn't, he, he, they've never seen him before. Like they're really bad at, at a lot of things. And I would say that they're, they're pretty inept most of the time throughout this movie. I mean, even him digging to get to um, yeah. the what the the well of souls is that was they're three hundred yards away like yeah and <laughs> and like that iconic scene which is iconic and looks amazing when they're digging in the in the sunlight and it's it's I believe it's the sunset I don't know but like that amazing looking scene I knew it was coming obviously and so I was surprised when they just like went down into the room in the middle of the day. And then I was like, oh yeah, okay. They found where it is. They're going to come back later and start digging. And that's where the iconic scene comes from because they start digging at night. Like that's, and then he just starts digging in the middle of the day. Like he climbs up on top of it. And I even still, I was like, okay, now he knows where it is. They're going to leave and come back later at night. And no, he just starts digging. And, And like, no one questions anything until the next morning. I, I, I don't know. Which, it, by the it, way, what were those snakes eating the whole time? Like, they're just in there. That room hasn't been opened in like 3,000 years, I think they said. What have those snakes been existing on? They're just in there? Each other. Cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird for thinking that kind of stuff. But I'm like, no, why, I, I, why I, are I, they there? I thought the exact same thing. So I, I agree with you, Matt. Like, there's some things where you watch this and you're like, okay, this isn't as perfect as I thought it was. Like, again, back to that fight on the plane as it's spinning in a circle. Like, there's so many things that from shot to shot, there is zero continuity. Like, I forget the girl character's name, uh, Marion. She, like, pulls the stops out from the wheel. And they're, like, the next scene is a wide shot of Indy and that guy brawling. And she should be, like, right next to it. She's nowhere to be found. And then later, she just appears on top of it and decks the dude. And then the gas is spilling and it's like under the plane and it wakes up the guy who's unconscious under the plane and then it goes to the wide shot and the sand is just bone dry, like nothing in sight. So there, there's like a lot of things where it's like, okay, this like, but while I'm watching it, I'm still having fun with the adventure and like, yeah, I'm going along for the ride. I will, and and maybe it's the nostalgia, but like even with these blaringly obvious ideas or, or inconsistencies, not ideas, inconsistencies. I will continue and willingly suspend my disbelief because I'm having fun. Uh, but but it, there there's some moments where I was like, okay, like I am I'm recognizing and choosing to suspend my disbelief. It's not happening naturally. Yeah, I guess um, I, when I was watching this today, I literally outside, um, like uh, outside, I literally out loud said, "Where the hell is she in this shot?" Like, wait, like, wait a minute. Like, where, like, where is she? Um, so yeah, there's definitely some, some inconsistencies in, in how this is filmed and shot. The one other thing, and and maybe I missed this. I, I didn't go back to double check. Um, when Miriam is being held hostage and she's, she's in the tent and she's with, um, what's the character's name? Uh, they're, they're drinking. They're Belloc. Yes. Why is he uh, like, why does he have an afraid look when the other uh, the guy in the black coat? I'm just forgetting names right now. For some reason, I'm a mess. Uh, Major Todd. He's the uh, Gestapo dude. Yes. Why is he afraid? Like he just has it. Maybe it's just weird acting, but like he seems to be afraid of him when they're after the same thing. Like, well, am clearly- I am I missing something? Well, clearly you guys didn't realize that Marion has superpowers. That's how she's able to zip around so fast. One of those superpowers is her liver can immediately metabolize. Oh, yeah. Because at the beginning of the movie, and I don't know if uh, nobody who made this movie has ever consumed alcohol before, like like a lot of alcohol, but um, it takes a little longer than just the moment you take the shot for it to mess you up. Like the, the kind of the fat lady that she's drinking against, like she takes the shot and then immediately was like, all right, that was one too many. And, and that's the one that knocks her out. Like yeah. it doesn't have, it doesn't have to get processed and then get her messed up. Meanwhile, Marion's done like, I don't know, like an entire bottle of vodka there. And then as soon as Indy shows up, she's like slurring her words a little bit. And then as soon as the bar gets set on fire, by the way, she should still be completely shammered. Mm-hmm. And it's, she's just, you know, 
hitting guys in the head with frying pans and like running away. No problem at all. So clearly in universe, Marion Ravenwood is an X-Man. She's got that. <laughs> she's got that. She's got that super soldier serum in her. Like, like cat can't get drunk. Clearly. Because clearly. She, it's the same thing in the tent. Like she's giggling she's and laughing like it. she's drunk. And then all of a sudden, boom, she's sober enough to help Indy and, you know, fire the gun and, and all those things. So yeah, it was like, it's weird because in the 80s, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe everybody was doing cocaine. So they didn't know what dr- alcohol <laughs> did to them, but <laughs> alcohol, schmalcohol, right. that's child's play. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say with that in mind, like, which I agree that as a negative, as a positive, one thing I really admire about this film has such little exposition. Like, the amount of things that this film just shows you instead of tells you is just like, I was so impressed just, and like the slow cuts, like it just lets the story be told in front of you. It's, it's fantastic visual storytelling, which I like really miss. Like the amount of times that I was like expecting, I've just been like trained to expect someone to explain the very thing that I just saw. And, and then they never did. And I was like, oh, wait, like I, they didn't need to explain it. I already got it. Why am I waiting for them to explain it? And I just realized that like I've been conditioned to do that by new movies. I, I don't the visual storytelling. I mean, like something as cheesy as like, OK, this Marion girl, she can down alcohol like she's got a hollow leg. And then later she's going to like she's going to use that when she starts drinking against the other dude whose name I can't forget. Like like that's a really, really small example. But there was many of that throughout the film where I was like. There's no exposition. I love this. Like, just let the story happen. You don't need to don't don't need to hold my hand. Like when when the light shines through the gym and he finds the room, I don't need him to say, "Oh, I found the room. This is where it is." Like, okay, obviously, thanks for not announcing it. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. That this movie just kind of lets the viewer go on the journey and doesn't really stop um, to to talk about the journey and point out obvious things. I I, I do like that. Rob, what are your feelings on that? Yeah, I think that it's it doesn't really slow the adventure down to have to get in the way with some of that dialogue. And, you know, that that scene that Harrison was just talking about where he's, you know, in the map room, so to speak, and just that slow setup of the crystal slowly moving the light. I mean, the use of light in this movie is is really cool. Some of the shadows and things like that where the characters are. I really, really enjoy it. I mean, you can you can see the age of this movie. I mean, it's it's definitely showing its age with the visual effects. You know, some of the lightning where it's basically just a guy with a blue filter on a strobe light. Like, you know, <laughs> like that's what they had. Oh, you know, I don't fault the movie for for using what they had. Some of the visual effects are, are kind of a sign of the times. But I'll tell you the thing that really stood out to me was like how how fun it is to go back and watch a movie before CG ruined all special effects. Right. Oh yeah. And I understand that CG has allowed us the opportunity to have movies and stories. We never could have had, like you could never make avatar pre CG. Like you just can't like you can't do Spider-Man. You can't do any of the MCU pre CG. You just, you just can't do it. So it's given us the opportunity to tell some of these stories, but I like, I complained about this a lot on air. I know, but the over-reliance on using CG and by the way, the fast and the furious series is probably the worst about it. Like (laughs) it's probably the worst example of an over-reliance on CG to do, to make characters do things that are not physically possible in real life. And watching these Indiana Jones movies where, you know, that's a real stunt person. And actually most of the time it's actually Harrison Ford. He Mm. did, a ton of his own stunts in this series and is regarded as kind of a, an all time Hollywood tough guy for, for doing a lot of this himself, knowing that that's a real person doing a real action. I don't care that the, the stones are obviously foam. Like I, I don't care. It's at least they're not cartoons. Yeah. And, and like the amount of explosions and fires. Yeah. Cause I like, this is just, and that's a real explosion. Yeah. Like this is just fun to watch. Like, no, a car does not explode that way when it tips over. But hey, that was a sweet <laughs> explosion. Yeah, like like it's just it's good spectacle. And and like it's fun because that like because it's real, you get simple stunts. Like when the when one of the I forget which one it is, but one of the trucks somebody gets in that's holding one of the MacGuffins and like goes to get away, it like drives over a mound and then like slowly tips over. And then I think it blows up. But like watching the truck slowly tip over, I was just like, yes. 
this is good this is good action <laughs> which is funny it's real it's, yeah yeah the, the realness you feel uh and it's fun and and it and it was a lot of fun to like try and and imagine what it would be like to like make that work like like everybody knows the I- iconic story where Harrison Ford had an upset stomach. He was really sick. And that one guy had the big sword and they were supposed to have like a big battle and he was just upset. So he just shot him and then he, he like died. And that was in the movie. Like that stunt person had to react to that improvisation from Harrison Ford. And and like they just went with it. And and like there's just something about that magic that, that like kind of seen behind the scenes a little bit makes this story fun because of the way that I can a little bit know how people are making it. And that bit has become an iconic mm-hmm. Indiana Jones moment. Like him just pulling his gun out and be like, I don't have time for this dude. And just how yeah. like that was supposed to be like a big bullwhip versus scimitar kind of battle that was like planned out for weeks. And it ended up being one of the most memorable moments from this film, in my opinion, and tells us a lot about the character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I would think, everybody who knows about this movie knows about that. And it's, it's hysterical, but you know, you were talking about, you know, stunts and, and everything like that. And, you know, now mostly I'm sure these insurance companies, they will not, you know, they, they don't want these actors or actresses doing their own stunts for the sake of them getting hurt. But, you know, back, you know, way back in 1980, people doing things. I mean, when you think about it, who's, you know, there's probably one guy that's synonymous with doing his own stunts now. And that's Tom Cruise. Um, But there's, you know, knowing that there was a care for the character that, you know, Harrison Ford did a lot of his own stuff. You know, those are things that I, and you know, Rob, like you're saying, I I appreciate that, that you want to be on screen. You want it to be as real as possible. Um, Cause you know, nowadays we've talked about it in movies when we did our transformers reviews, it, there's so many shots in age of extinction and the last night where you can just, they, and in, in dark of the moon, they stop that camera and you're like, okay, that's not Shia LaBeouf. That's not Mark Wahlberg. And they make no effort to conceal it. Um, mortal Kombat annihilations famous for that with, um, subbing in Ray Park for Raiden for a fight scene where they're just like, yeah, we don't care that you can tell. Um, so I, I just, I always appreciate when somebody wants to be as much a part of the process as they can be barring something that's like, well, no, I really don't know how to f- roll over in a car. So this is why a stunt double or, you know, a stunt person is used for this. Um, so I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. And, and there's one thing I noticed was this, like the, the the rarity of cuts then when they had a fight scene you know the ridiculous punches with the great sound effects like that's another thing about this movie fantastic sound effects as as outlandish and over the top as they are they're fun but like but there was one particular scene where where indy and marion are running through the streets and there's all those goons coming after him and he tells Miriam to run, and then he gets tackled by somebody into like a fruit stand and then he turns around and punches the guy who tackled him so the camera cut when he gets tackled into the fruit stand, and I was just like immediately ready for the next shot to be one that wasn't Harrison, and it was a, like an obvious, oh, we got to get Harrison back in the shot. Like I was, I was expecting that the person who was tackled to be a stunt double, but it wasn't because the camera doesn't cut, and Harrison Ford turns around and punches the guy, and it was just like, yeah, that was that, like like going back to where kind of how we started. That's part of the thing that like get you to buy into Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford. And like in, in this sense, the very real physical presence he has as a character on the set and the way that that translates to like Indiana Jones, having a presence in, in the world, in the universe, you know, in these circumstances, it works. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's another improv scene. Harrison Ford really punched that guy. I'm kidding, but (laughs) (laughs) like, I wasn't supposed to fall into that fruit stand dick. Like, (laughs) but Rob, any other thoughts you want to you want to say about those and, you know, stunt doubles and anything like that? You know, I, I think what maybe sometimes gets lost when when you hear actors talking about, oh, you know, I, I do all my own stunts and, and it's like, nah, man, no, you don't. It's they kind of do this 
like in a, in sort of like a tough guy, macho kind of thing. And what I think gets lost in it is that it takes specialized training to do that. Mm -hmm. Like the same reason why actors don't do their own stunts is why they also don't edit or like, you know, conduct the orchestra doing the theme for it because that's an incredibly specialized set of skills and talents. Like you have stunt performers that do just high falls. You have stunt performers that do just driving. Like there are people that do just fights and, and some basic rough and tumble kind of stuff. Like you have stunt performers that specialize in fire burns. Like there's, it's unreasonable to hold most action stars to a standard that they could do all of this stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, Harrison Ford, all time badass for sure, because he, he did a lot of this stuff. And by the way, the insurance companies don't allow them to do most of it for a lot of reasons. First of all, if, if Harrison Ford were to get hurt doing any of these things, he's in virtually every scene. There's almost nothing they can shoot around. The production shuts down for weeks while it's broken with the dial of destiny. Yeah, as his broken wrist heals, the whole production shuts down for weeks. And that is just money the studio is just throwing in a furnace because they are not recovering that. They're still paying everybody. They're still paying for the sets. Everybody who's on site is still on site. They're still covering all of that stuff. So it's it's not a slight against anybody for saying that for admitting like they use the stunt double. <laughs> like it's That's normal. And, and it worked. Like that scene... Again, iconic when he goes underneath the truck. Um, I forget who it is, but on one of the corridor crew, uh, stuntmen react. The guy who did that, if I remember right, was on the show and he talked about doing that stunt. And like, that's remarkable to watch. Like, like the the amount of work that would go into digging that tunnel that he goes down, and then the driver driving really straight, and then him like trusting himself and being like, okay. Maybe I got some pads on my back, but I'm going to have so much gravel down my shorts or my pants at the end of this, but I'm just going to do yeah. it. Like, like, like I clearly know that this is being fabricated, but part of like the awe I'm having is like someone did this. Someone did this to tell me this story. So I'm now more invested in this story. And also the way that it's, it's, it's edited and paced in a way that like, while that's happening, even though half of my brain is like aware of a stunt person who did this and the production side effect, I'm like, oh my gosh, Indiana Jones is going down the back of a truck. Like, like I, I'm still in the story, and it, and and that's something that that is weird. As I'm becoming more and more aware of how films are made, obviously you 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 begin to notice things. And what was a fun surprise coming back to this um, was just like how much I remained in the story. Um, I, I feel like I've been taken more and more out of stories lately and it was fun to just stay in the story. And that could just be nostalgia. I don't, I can't really point to what it is, but, but I, I felt like I was with Indiana Jones the whole time. Yeah. Didn't he also, didn't he get injured during the force awakens as well? Um, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. So, you know, Rob, like you said, I mean, there's there's specific reasons why they try to, in certain degrees, say, you know, no, like, because I've certainly heard stories where they're like, okay, I, you know, an actor was like, I want to do this. And they're no, you can't like, you're, we're not going to allow you to do this. Um, oh, oh, gosh, I just looked it up. He did get injured on The Force Awakens. A hydraulic door on the Millennium Falcon crushed him. Yes. And broke his leg. That's awful. He said he's had a rough go of it coming back. To, yeah. Coming back to these characters. Like, wow. Good, good. Poor guy. Is it any wonder he wanted to be killed off in that movie? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It was he after the door crushed him. He's like, I'm done. Kill me. <laughs> but Rob, you know, you have, um, you had brought something up and I, I, I really liked you to, to go into that. Um, you said there's a, a pretty interesting fan theory about this movie, and I had never heard it. Um, so I was kind of like, whoa, what the heck? But you also said it's very easily debunked. But wh- talk about that. Yeah, so there's a theory that um, Indiana Jones ultimately has no, his presence has no impact on the events of the story of his first movie. And it, basically saying these events would have happened with or without his involvement. Um, and I think where this theory really took 
root uh, and, and became something that more people were aware of is it's actually discussed on um, The Big Bang Theory, which was a show that I watched almost every episode of uh, when it was on TV and, uh, you know, was was really a lot of fun. And Matt, as you and I have talked about it multiple times, um, it's amazing, like how different things are now uh, culturally and what we think is cool and what is is no longer shunned. And in the 21st century, you're only cool if you're a nerd. And uh, if you're not a nerd, you're just not cool. It's just how it is. And, you know, I think a show like The Big Bang Theory kind of sort of helped with that um, a little bit. But, you know, you think about so the theory basically says that, um, you know, Indy is the one that finds the Ark. But the Nazis probably would have found it because it really wasn't that far from where they were digging. Now, I actually don't necessarily go along with that part of the theory because it was 300 yards away, but it didn't seem like they had any intentions of stopping anytime soon. And I think this movie takes place in like 1936 or so. Yep, 1936. Like- yeah. So like three years later, I'm pretty sure it was like the unofficial start of World War Two. So depending on how long they were there in the digging season, because it's not year long, it's conceivable that the war would have really kicked off before they could have actually discovered it. So I automatically just toss that theory right out the window. Um, but then they also talk about just the fact that once they find it, you know, they go and they set it up and then they open it. And, and it's not Indy that actually defeats the Nazis. It's it's whatever's in the Ark uh, that actually defeats them. Uh, and Indy has nothing to do with it. Um, and, and in some instances, they actually say that had Indy not gotten involved, maybe it would have been opened in front of De Fuhrer himself, which I don't think that's necessarily plausible. Um, I, I think really you can kind of debunk that part of the theory by acknowledging that you know, all along the way, Indy's this little thorn in Belloc's side. He's, he's always driving to, to do things. And so they, they kind of had to open it uh, to keep him from getting to it so they could figure out how to master that power um, and, and keep him away from it. So I kind of feel like and that's that's just kind of like the general theory um, is that, you know, if you take him out of it, the Nazis still would have found it. They still would have been, you know, had their faces melted by it. And, and Indy's involvement wouldn't have made a difference one way or another. But like I mentioned, I don't personally um, find that theory to be uh, true. I think it would. I don't think it would have worked that way. Yeah, it's actually it's pretty interesting. Harrison, any thoughts on that? I just think that's weird. Like, why you got to do that? Also, <laughs> also, like, I feel like just as a side note, Indy's presence is one of the things that caused him to open it more quickly. Um, so yeah, which, which is, uh, uh, yeah, like I'm like so bothered by that theory. I, uh, but yeah, I, I think you brought up a good point that they probably would have just missed it, but his being a thorn in the side caused him to do things riskier, I would say, um, but but who knows? What I will say about that ending when they get their faces melted off, um, what a great scene! I, I, <laughs> I just love that. Like like if you're gonna like, like what a great way to end the movie. Like like our heroes, our 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 protagonists are captured. They do absolutely nothing to escape. Like like they they failed. The divine intervention from the ark, uh, literally saved them. And uh, it's just like, what, what an interesting way to end the movie, like in a really good way. You know, we, you don't do that. That's unheard of. And, it, and it's fun. And, you know, the, the, vis- the visual effects, the practical effects to make it happen are, are great. And we all get to watch Nazis get their faces melted and everybody wins. Win win. Yeah. Everybody wins. So except for the Nazis. Right, right, right. So I do have a couple things I want to talk about leading up to that point, because um, to me, it's it's typical movie trope um which bothers me one is you know they're they're gonna walk the ark to the 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 ritual site and you know before they open it and everything like that and i don't know i just don't i don't buy that indy wouldn't blow it up and i also don't buy that again other than for the sake of the movie why would the Nazis like what are what is the point? And again, maybe I missed something. Maybe I wasn't paying attention as much as I thought I was for some reason. Um, 
why would the Nazis bring them there once they have him? He, he's escaped, what, three, four different times by this point? Why would they even bother bringing them along once they captured him? Why would they not just shoot him and kill him? It's not like the Nazis had a problem killing people. Um, I read that somewhere. Like, like, why? Like, why would they not just get rid of him? I, I find that a little bothersome for me um, that, OK, you, you've escaped three or four times. We're just done with you. Like, it's over. You're stupid. You didn't shoot the rocket at it. it we're not going to mess around anymore. Yeah, don't play chicken with someone you're not willing to have call your bluff. Like, don't yeah. pull out the bazooka if you're not fully intending to fire said bazooka. And I guess to your point, Matt, so I, I will counter it and then I will counter the counter in that <laughs> um, Belloc as his rival has always been, you know, very excited to be like, ah, I've got you now. You know, I've got I took this away from you, Dr. Jones, and I took this away from you, Dr. Jones. So you could reasonably see him wanting to peacock a little bit and open the arc in front of him and be like, got you one last time. And then you know, pull it a bullet in his head after he had to witness him beat him one more time. So you could kind of see that. So that's my counter. Then I'm going to counter the counter and say the Nazis wouldn't have cared about that. And, and Belloc wasn't running the show. The, you know, the Nazis were running the show and they would have been like, you know, now nah, we're just taking him out. <laughs> like, we don't really care what you think we're shooting him. Him and Marion, too. Like, sure, Belloc has a ridiculous obsession with her. But why do they care? Like, she's more work to bring along than anything. Like, just leave her behind. I mean... Yeah, you gotta assign somebody to guard them. Yeah, yeah. even if even if you... I mean, like, not just that point in the movie, but just constantly. Just, like, leave them alone. Like, like, go take them into the middle of the desert that you say is three weeks in every direction and just leave them there. Like, if you got some problem with ki actually killing them, you know, just leave them in the desert. Or, like, when he doesn't blow up the rocket, if he's really not gonna blow it up and you have all these guns... If you're not going to kill him, just like walk away from him. What what is he going to do? Like what what can he actually do if he's unwilling to actually blow it up? That was his one move and he didn't do it. So just let him walk away. Like like he can't whip up another idea. I just think the whole, yeah, I I I've, I I continually thought like the MacGuffins and the people are just placed here conveniently. Because they just need to be here because they're like our the characters we're following. So they're just they're just here. Uh I think it's interesting uh to to like look back at that because in the movie how can I say this the right way? I'm just like so used to the ending that I'm like, oh yeah, like they take him along and then the then everyone gets their face melted off. Like I've just accepted that. And now I'm here and being like, well, why do I accept that? Why is, is why is that just so easily the story. So what exactly are the wraiths that are contained in the box? That is the Ark of the covenant anyways. Like what are they? Why are they? Yeah. It's, I mean, did I miss something? Like, is that, is that Moses himself in there? Like, is that like <laughs> Moses's family that comes out or just like, who disturbs my rest? Right. And like, Oh, you, you, you disturb my rest face melted. Like you disturb my rest face melted. And can we be honest? Like, Hey, just like close your eyes real tight might be the dumbest way to defeat a supernatural MacGuffin in any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, just yeah. Close your eyes, you know, just close your eyes. You'll be fine. It's not it's not real. <laughs> I will say this movie did give us the original sky beam to space in the words of honest trailers. And I think it's probably the best one. That wasn't, you know, that sky beam to space with those practical effects are are pretty fun. But uh so I guess it wasn't yeah. the Avengers that inspired it originally. Yeah, I mean, it really is, you know, Harrison, you said it. It really is like divine intervention because they close their eyes. They're, you know, they're not affected. They take, you know, they take out the Nazis. Um, but the fire like burns their ropes, but doesn't burn them. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's kind of interesting how all of that happens and they're completely fine through it. Um, th that is a little, the ending is a little bit weird to me. Um, but yeah, I guess that's funny. The original space beam into. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say just on this note of the ending, I, I really do think if it wasn't for the really, really fun practical effects mm. and the 
charisma that Harrison uses for Indiana that like you just like this character. I don't think the ending of the film works. I, I don't think that this film becomes iconic and adored and becomes a franchise the way that it is. I, I think the craft of this movie and the way that the people making it presented it allowed us to accept the ridiculousness and kind of stupidity of it way more than we than we should have. That's a dumb thing to say. Than is logical. Um, because logically looking at it, I'm like, yeah, well, why? It, I, I, it's... I'm more confused now than I've ever been about this movie. And I've seen it so many times. Um, but I, I, I really do think that it just comes down to like the way that it's crafted and presented to you is, is so palatable that you're like, yeah, okay, sweet. I'll watch somebody's get his face melted off. I don't care what the reason is. Yeah. I, I will say one last thing because uh, it, it was brought up really quickly. Boy, it is. <sighs> And certainly, I mean, Rob, we just watch Max Payne and it's it's done in that, too. And, you know, certainly we when we talked about the Transformers movies, it's done. But man, Bellic is like he's not even weird. He's like rapey in this movie. Like the line that he <laughs> yeah. uses, what is it? If she if she doesn't please me, I'll get rid like. Oh, keep you can her do with, with her what you wish or yeah, something keep, like that. Keep her with me. And if she doesn't please me, then you can do with her what what you wish. And I'm like, he's selling her out. Like, what the f- like? Good oh, yeah. God. She's definitely treated like property, like 100 like, percent treated as an object. I was like, holy crap, man. Like they do. Also, not, like, some of these movies, they do not care. Like, I mean, doesn't when they when Indy and her first interact in Nepal, is it hinting at that like they had a romantic relationship when she was a student and he was a teacher? Like, um, I'm yeah. not a teacher right now. Not acceptable. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, maybe that was a nod to like his relationship with Carrie Fisher. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, who knows? Yeah, but but yeah, no, he's just like yeah, he's just he is rapey in this movie it's just like holy crap um but uh harrison any other thoughts on this movie before we're gonna get to the rotten and reveal our scores uh all i have to say is that like watching it this film definitely has things that i understand why it's iconic we've talked about most of them just some few i want to mention the the lines in this there's some scenes there's some shots that like yes that 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 is film history i'm watching some of the lines are just fantastic um and the way harrison ford delivers them and then the music like and i'm not just talking like the big theme that we get when the credits roll just like consistently the music in this throughout the whole film is just exceptional and i talked about this earlier the visual storytelling how there's so little exposition a a big heavy lifter here is the music and it's just fantastic and understandable why we fell in love with it. I, I really think it's true that the reason we fell in love with it so much has less to do with the story and more to do with the components that were delivering the story to us because that was the part that we really liked. Yeah, I, I also think it helps that George Lucas didn't actually come up with the dialogue. True. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of sand there. He could have had oh, any of them complain right, about it. Exactly. <laughs> so... And it, it, I'm sure there was there was sand everywhere with Indy, but he he managed to get through it. <laughs> he even carried some in a bag with him, right? Exactly. I mean, he and he never once complained about how coarse it was, right? Never, not once. He literally got drugged through it underneath the car. Never once complained. <laughs> but I got this, <laughs> um, Rob. How about you? Any final thoughts on this? No, I think Harrison had uh, a great final thought. Um, you know, you think about the individual pieces of this film, obviously the music and the big main theme, but even the the other themes. Tippet, how often does a, a film other than Star Wars have a main theme that's instantly iconic and recognizable, but has supporting themes throughout the film that are not necessarily quite as iconic, but equally recognizable? Um as, as being important in their own right. And it's, it, you know, the list I've got is, is star Wars and, uh, and indie that's, that's it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. All right. So why don't we get over to popcorn time, which will tie into rummage from the rotten. So, uh, Harrison, I'm going to let you go first. Um, and since I guessed that, well, I, I think it was, 
kind of consensus that maybe based on a little bit, I'd be the rotten. So I'll go last. So Harrison, why don't you go first with your popcorn time review? Uh, how many buckets do you give this? You know, I kind of went back and forth as we were talking. And I think that I'm not going to be tied with you now because I think that my, I got more popcorn as we talked about it. Um, and, and I'm just going to give it a solid four. I mean, like, it's Indiana Jones, and I, there's a nostalgia that I have for it, and there's components of it that is just, you can't help but love the biggest being Harrison Ford. Um, and, you know, like, it's easy, as we just did, to poke holes in it, but it's like one of those moments, and, and maybe this is nostalgia, where I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. Like, it, it really doesn't work, and I can't give you a reason why it should, uh, but I had fun. And so, four buckets. All right. Rob, where do you stand? It was everything I could do to talk myself out of giving this five because it's it's not it's not five. But the nostalgia and just the love of this franchise and the iconicness of this franchise, the importance, the importance of this franchise to cinema, uh, to pop culture. Um, I'm going four and three quarters. Yes, there's things that aren't perfect. But I mostly don't care that they're not perfect. And I think that even just adds to its charm. Yeah, so um, I I am going to be the rotten here. Uh, this was three and a half buckets for me. And Harrison, I certainly understand what you're saying. Um, that was one of my things when we reviewed Transformers and we talked about Age of Extinction was I, I just fundamentally ripped it apart. But I was like, I don't care. Like, for whatever reason, I enjoy this movie a lot. Um, I just found that some of the things that we had talked about through really did kind of bring me out of the experience. Now I really do. I like this movie. I would watch this movie again at three and a half buckets. I I'm not sitting here certainly saying that, you know, this is a bad movie, but it it's certainly a movie where if I was watching it again, it's not one of those ones where I'm sitting down paying complete attention to the next time I could get up, walk around, do things and just periodically come back to it. So for me, um, yes, still a very good movie. Uh, really glad that we're deciding to, to go back and go through these. I'm glad I watched it because again, you know, th there's so many things about this movie that do work and that are fun. And I did find myself having fun, but I also, there were, there were enough parts where I said, this just doesn't work. It kind of takes me out of the experience um, where I wasn't able to kind of look past them like you guys had just talked about. So for me, it's a three and a half, and I would be the rotten in this case. So I think that's really understandable, though, if I can just chime in for a second. Yeah. I, as I, I talked about how I loved this. I watched it a ton as a kid. My family, we had a we had a DVD player and a TV in our car that we would... So I have, I have four siblings. I'm in the middle of five children. So when my parents took road trips, they had to find a way to entertain five children <laughs> in a suburban. And the solution was Indiana Jones. So the amount of times that I've seen this is a lot. I've seen this a significant amount of times. And now that I'm older and think about it more, I understand now that this is a movie I would not be able to watch as frequently as I did then. Like, like this benefited that I haven't seen this for a long time. If I had seen this even just like a year and a half ago, I think I would have given it the original three and a half that I, I had planned going in. So my initial guess was right. Um, but, but, but like, you know, I, I got to give it time to breathe before I come back or else the holes are just going to get bigger. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that'll do it for this review. And next will we'll come Temple of Doom, uh, certainly then The Last Crusade, leading up to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which, you know, I have not watched that since, geez, I, I know I tried to watch it one other time after I had seen it in theaters. Um, Rob, how many times have you seen Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? They made a fourth indie movie. I don't. I don't remember <laughs> that. They well, they did that. Well, you did that. When did that come out? You're getting very close to remembering, my friend. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So um, I, I I kind of continue a bit long term that that I don't acknowledge the existence of a fourth one. 
Um, I've seen it a grand total of one time, which was the appropriate number of times that I felt like I needed to see it. Um, I am because it's been several years. I am kind of curious to just go back with more of a fresh look and try to see, you know, the disappointment is factor is already done. I don't, the movie can't disappoint me any more than it already has. So just fresh eyes, what's it going to look like and what things are going to be set up in the fourth one that they might try to key off of in the fifth one. If, if anything, um, I'll be, I'll be curious to see what's, what's there. Yeah. And I, I wonder too, again, cause I, I went and saw this in the theater opening weekend, uh, with my friend, Mike, uh, we almost walked out of it to be honest, but we, we went for free because, um, at the time, his his brother was a manager for AMC, so we went to so many movies because you'd get, like, two free passes a day. Um, and we would just go to so many movies, and rightfully so, people wanted to see this. Um, but, yeah, we almost walked out, and then I remember watching it maybe, like, a year and a half later. Uh, but I don't really remember a lot about that. I think the thing that I remember, I remember two things about this movie. One the refrigerator and two, the ending. Um, but I'll be interested to see watching these as close as we're going to together. If that helps or if it just makes it even more apparent how much I didn't like it in the beginning, I would love nothing more than to change my opinion on it. Um, certainly that's happened, Rob. We've talked about that, but yeah. I, I, I certainly wonder watching these, you know, in order, uh, and so relatively close together, if maybe that will help it. Uh, Harrison, with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, what? Uh, how many times have you watched this one? A lot, if I'm being okay. honest. Um, okay. I saw it in theaters when I was young. I was doing the math. Um, let's see. came out in 2008, so I was um, 11. Okay. Did I do my, yeah, I was 11. So, like, still very much dumb. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't hate it. Like, I remember, like, being confused. Like, and now that I, well, I'm going to save my thoughts on it. But but I, I, I didn't love it as a kid. But I was like, yeah, it's an Indiana Jones movie. So, like, me and my brother, we would watch it. And, like, we thought that there were some pretty funny lines. So we liked watching it just because we were, I was 12 and he was 10 and we're immature and we thought the lines was funny. So we'd watch the whole movie. And so we, we did watch it a lot. And then I also have significant memories of it because my brother and I played the Indiana Jones Lego game and played through the whole movie, obviously, because it had all four of them. So then we'd rewatch it after we beat it on. So like I've seen it a decent amount of times. I, I am, but never, I, I, I'm confident to say that I probably haven't seen it in 10 years probably if so, not longer it, so like a decent amount of time that my memory of it is very much like the lego game and laughing with my brother and like always being kind of confused about it so I'm, I'm really curious to see like what i think about it as an adult yeah it's a very long time i mean again kind of crazy that it's uh you know after the third movie it took 19 years for another indiana jones movie to come out um so interesting once we get to that point, but first we got to get through uh, Temple of Doom and then the Last Crusade before we get there uh, leading up to the Dial of Destiny. So before we sign off, though, uh, Harrison, I, I know we just did Fast X, but I also saw I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet. Um, you did a uh, I, I don't want to call it a mini, but you did do a, a spoiler free review. It looks like of The Little Mermaid. Um, anything else coming you know, coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, it was a mini review. That's a good thing to call it on the little mermaid, which was good fun. Um, so yeah, that, and then spider verse, uh, or across the spider verse, which was exceptional. I have, it is hard to put my thoughts about that movie into words. So that episode should be coming out at time of recording tomorrow. And then we're planning on recording a rise of beast episodes, depending on when Rob's going to be able to join us. We'll work that out. So that will be coming relatively soon. And then obviously finally, getting back to animation hall of fave um my as a joke so i've been a, i've been a teacher i had this 
job that I was applying for as a teacher. I didn't get the role. And so I've been looking for a job for the last three weeks as I anticipated school ending, which it did today. Today was my last day in that job. And so one of my students was asking me about the podcast. He's like, are you ever going to get back to Animation Hall fave? Like you you have some <laughs> other movies you need to finish. I was like, let me tell you, Riven. That was his name. So Riven, if you're listening, um, I That's was like, badass name. Yeah. Every time I record Animation Hall of Fave and I go to work on it, something bad in my life happens and prevents me from working on it. I need all the help I can get to get a new job. So I'm just avoiding it until I get a new job. <laughs> <laughs> so I have found one. Uh, oh, so nice. I can come back to it. So, you know, that's good. I got the good luck that I need and I'm ready to come back to the podcast now. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. What what started as a month long celebration of animation feels like it's turning into a year long celebration <laughs> yeah. of animation. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So um yeah, hopefully Rob can uh get out certainly with you know his his life and the kids and everything like that. It's it's hard for him to to get out to the movies um w- with all the activities that they've got going on, but Hopefully he's able to get out and see Rise of the Beast because uh, I would I would love to get him in on on the thoughts um, of that movie. I'd, I'd certainly be interested to see what he thinks of it. Um, and like you, Harrison, I, I certainly am. I'm having a hard time really trying to put my my thoughts together about Across the Spider Verse because I went and saw that and. Not in a bad way, in a good way. I just don't know if I can properly speak to that movie right now. So I'm really yeah. trying to just figure out what I want to say about it. Because uh, it just might be the best Spider-Man media we've gotten on screen. Um, yeah. I, I have that high of a praise for it. So there's a lot to talk about there that, again, I just can't put my total thoughts together for. And, you know... Rob, uh, certainly you'll be you'll be back and we'll be doing uh, Temple of Doom. But anything else that that you're working on? I know you were trying to get a couple things going. Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, we over at the EPU are currently in pre-production on no less than three different yes. episodes. So uh, and what's funny is they couldn't be more different from each other. So there's there's three very, very different episodes that I am committing to you, the listener, uh, and to the two of you guys will be done, all three of those, by the end of summer. Uh, hopefully by the end of July is, is kind of my target. But yeah, three very different episodes should be a lot of fun. So if you've enjoyed uh, the extended podcast universe and some of the fun we have over there, uh, stay subscribed to Matt Goes to the Movies if you are not already. Um, you should definitely subscribe to this show. You should also subscribe to The Basement Binge wherever you get high-quality podcasts, wherever you downloaded this episode that you're listening to right now. Uh, Stay tuned to both of those so you can hear all of the thoughts that the three of us have on the world of entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. All right, listeners, that's going to do it for this episode. Look forward to coming back with Temple of Doom and you know a bunch of that stuff that we talked about. So we will see you very soon at Matt Goes to the Movies.